yeah, it's pretty fascinating how the influence, especially early when you're just you're a lot of people just looking for direction, right? And you just you just need to follow something. I mean, I don't think that one one thing that I've <clears throat> struggled a little bit with that has been a lot clearer to me recently is that you know just be good at a few key things, right? And you know, nothing is permanent. I mean, you don't have to, because you just choose to go one direction and dedicate a lot of time to learning that, learning an degree, that makes you very valuable in that area. But if you one day decide that that's not for you or you want to do something else, you can change it. And those skills that you've learned there will invariably be very valuable wherever you go. So, I mean, and that's, that's at least what I realized. So... Hi, everyone, and welcome to another Wisenetics podcast episode. I'm Ricardo Vivian, your host. I'm a business development lead here at uh, Wisenetics, one of the main players when it comes to technical content production within the livestock business. I'm a gold medalist in the in a graphic design competition, World Skills, largest um, skills competition in the world. I got my bachelor's in design and visual communication. And for the past 10 years, I've been adventuring myself in multiple um, areas from design, communication to business uh, and education. The Wisenetics podcast is a project that aims to create a platform for people from the industry, the marketing and business leaders to share their ideas, their vision, not only about the industry, about marketing, about business, but, all, but also about the world and about their lives. Um, if you notice any problems in my English, that's because that's not my native language. I'm a Brazilian, so I speak Portuguese, so please be patient with that. And in this week's episode, our guest is Lassie Jakobsen. Uh, Lassie is the vice president at Protecta, uh, a company that provides products specifically designed to protect animals from common stressors that impact their health, ensuring optimal growth and development. Welcome, Lassie. Thank you, Ricardo. Nice to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I had the chance to, we are in an after pandemics uh, scenario. So I met a lot of people in the past two years since I, you know, started working with the livestock business. And uh, I had the happy experience to met uh, Lasse in person in, at the Pork Expo uh, this year. So great guy. It's great to have you here sharing a little bit of your experiences and ideas and also some good stories about your traveling and life. Uh, and lastly, for us to start, uh, could you tell us a little bit from yourself? For sure. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's been great to connect with you as well too, Ricardo. And I think, I think uh, we would have met virtually like so many other people over the pandemic first. Um, and then it was great to finally connect in person at the, the expo. So, uh, but yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, I'll, I'll start with a little background. So I'm also not a, a native to Canada or the US or North America for that matter. I'm, I'm originally from Denmark, hence the, uh, the very Scandinavian name. Um, and my family, uh, because of my parents, back when I was eight, moved us from Denmark to Canada. So it was back in 2003, uh, actually because of the farming industry, pig production to be specifically because of my um, my dad's my dad's father's relations uh, to pig production. He had some farms in Canada that my dad had been involved with in his younger years. And when he when he came to retirement, my grandfather, my dad ended up inheriting those farms. And 
that led to a few years later after that, uh, my parents kind of making the call that either they had to cut the ties with those, those involvements in Canada, or they'd always, they'd always thought about the idea of making a move. Um, so, so they did, uh, very brave of them. My youngest brother being six months at the time and myself being eight and a sister in between, um, that that's where it all started. A uh, big change in my life for sure. Uh, still young enough that you didn't have any major ties to, uh, uh, to friends and such. It's mostly family connections that linger on. Um, and you kind of built a, a new life in Canada. And it's been great. Um, so yeah, so I grew up in rural Ontario, uh, Canada, about two and a half hours outside of Toronto, um, right up against Lake Huron, a town of 1300 people, uh, very coincidental. And that's because of that farming tie. Uh, it's a very, uh, <laughs> very, 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 uh, unique, uh, childhood from that perspective anyways. Um, not, not a lot going on. It was kind of the, the, before social media existed, everyone in town, you know, knew what was going on, uh, before the next day if something had happened, right. Just by word of mouth. So <laughs> that's the environment that I grew up in. Um, yeah. And then I went to finish high school. I went to, uh, Georgian college, uh, in Barrie, just North of Toronto, did a two-year business diploma, um, right out of high school. And I was pretty eager to be done school. At the time, I, I was really excited uh, just to get into the field to do things. I was okay at school, not absolutely exemplary, that's for sure. Um, so I ended up doing a one-year internship with an agriculture cooperative throughout Europe and did that for a year in, in 2015 into 16. And yeah, finished that off with some Spanish lessons down the south of Spain uh, for a month. And then I came back and I partnered uh, with my dad in what is today Protecta, which is uh, what we run today, a team of 10 people across Canada and the US. Uh, it was just him on his own when I finished the internship. And yeah, we got together. We had a really great product that had a lot of potential behind it. And we doubled our efforts and uh, grew it to where it is today. So yeah, that's... Um, and I guess to finalize, I'm actually now I sit in the U.S. I've relocated to California this year and I kind of I head up our U.S. operations together with our team, uh, helping pull together future team members down here. And I'm also a fairly uh, new role uh, that I've taken on within more of a global role within one of our primary suppliers where I assist them internationally. So so, yeah. Hopefully that gives you a little bit of a, a good background. I am sure it gives to our audience. I did I, I did know a little bit about this uh this life experience. So it's great that uh everyone knows everyone now also knows uh, about this experience. Uh so living being born in Denmark, then going to Canada, now living in the US, pre pre uh extended experience for a, uh, a guy with what, 28, 27? How old are you right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're doing the math on the when I was when I was eight in 2003, uh, 20, 27. So, 27. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Pretty experienced though. No, that's great. Um, Lasse, and uh, the next question I have here, uh, would love to hear uh, more from your side on what were like if you had to choose three top experiences you had until now, which I'm pretty sure you had many with all this experience, uh, but uh, the top three experiences you had and 
in your life and what did you learn with those experiences? Sure. Yeah. And I won't, I won't promise they're the top ones. They're, they're just the ones that <laughs> come to mind, I guess. You can remember. Important experiences. Yeah. I think, I think to step back a little bit there where I didn't go into too much detail on how I, I ended up in that internship through the uh, agriculture cooperative, which is actually called DLG. It's um, it's a Danish farmer cooperative. It's the, the largest cooperative in, in Denmark or farmer owned cooperative in Denmark or one of them anyways, I'd say top three. Uh, it might compete with Arla, which also makes some cheese and such as some of you guys might know. Um, uh, anyways, how I got associated with that was my father was representing some of the products um, prior to their involvement, but they ended up purchasing, purchasing a couple of the product lines that he was representing right around the time when I was still going to college. And I attended a Euro tier in Germany which takes place every two years is actually coming up here in, in two weeks again in Hanover, Germany. And this was back in 2014. Yeah. So I would have been about starting my second year of college and I went to that with him and I ended up, you know, being at, at the exhibition with this company and the CEO of DLG was there and, and we ended up at the restaurant afterwards, having dinner, having a couple of beers. And at this point in time, I didn't really, you know, I was going to business school. I liked the, I just liked everything business, everything about it. And I wasn't a hundred percent sure what I wanted to do. Um, but that trip kind of solidified some things for me. Um, after a conversation with him, he said, well, why don't we put something together where you come over here and work for some time and we put you through some different divisions. And when I sit and kind of reflect on that, that was a pretty life-changing moment because it, it, it just drove me into the agriculture industry. Um, and it's, there's no doubt that that's the reason I'm sitting here today and been a big part of having done what we've done. So, um, so what I learned from that, I guess, uh, you don't have to have everything figured out all the time, you know, uh, things will come at you and you have to play them a, 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 as they do. So, um, and, and then over just more general stuff, I think because of the moves that I've made, uh, like with Canada and now even just this past almost year now of being in the US. I mean, meeting new people, making good deep relationships. I mean, those are those are some really those are always like the most profound full experiences for me because I just love building together. I like being around people who you care about, who care about you, who you can trust. And I don't know, even I'd say the past couple of years I've I've realized the importance of that and really enjoyed uh those things. So so those that's more of a broad experience. Um, and let's see, uh, th uh, this past, this past trip to, to the Middle East, uh, was, was at least eye opening for me, just being in that culture, that environment, understanding it from a different perspective. Um, yeah. And it, and it, I always, I've traveled a fair bit and I always know, I've known how important it has been for my own, like self-development and again, perspective, um, and it just solidified that again, just a good reminder of you really don't know anything until you're there on the ground talking with other humans <laughs> and learning exactly from their point of view, not through any sort of other filter or anything like that. And yeah, so I'd say those are definitely three kind of pretty prominent experiences in the past little while that I can reflect on. So beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and just, uh, I loved like how you brought your first experience and bringing back 
uh, what you said in your first uh, question about like, hey, you were okay, like during school, never like, uh, uh, how can I say that? Uh, never wow. had like the the best student ever. And no. uh, I, I, I can relate with that a lot. Sometimes for me, like school and uh, the, just the format of how things are done, you don't, mm -hmm. sometimes you just don't fit exactly on, on this model of education. And um, again, I can re totally relate with that. After I finished my, my, my high school, I didn't have anything figured out also, right? Uh, what would I do? And uh, here for me, something similar happened, not in your tier like for you, where you were there and then suddenly appear here, appear there, a few people that you met and then that changes your life forever. I had a similar experience, but like I had just finished my high school. I was like, what will I do from my life with my life? I was like thinking about doing business school and stuff. And because I was drinking with a friend that I didn't see for a while, I haven't seen him for a while. And then I started talking to him like, hey, what you're doing? He was doing, a, you know, some random course about graphic arts. And I was like, okay, what do you do? And like, what do you learn? And he said, oh, Photoshop and stuff. And I went, whoa, I like Photoshop. I used to play with that when I was like younger. And because of that, this conversation, my whole life changed. And it's like a chain of things that went happening that just, just happened because like there in the past, uh, I yeah. was there in the in the beach drinking with a with a friend, right? If I didn't have that conversation, I don't know where I would be right now. So it's it's nice to see how these small things might change your life forever. So absolutely, yeah, it's pretty fascinating how the influence, especially early when you're just you're, a lot of people just looking for a direction, right? And you just you just need to follow something. I mean, I don't think that one one thing that I've <clears throat> struggled a little bit with that has been a lot clearer to me recently is that you know just be good at a few key things right and you know nothing is permanent i mean you don't have to because you just choose to go one direction and dedicate a lot of time to learning that learning an degree that makes you very valuable in that area but if you one day decide that that's not for you or you want to do something else you can change it and those skills that you've learned there will invariably be very valuable wherever you go so i mean and that's that's at least what I realized. So I'm sure it's a similar thing for you. <laughs> We're always yeah. learning. So. Yeah. And uh, learning how to apply your knowledge, your skills to other things that are not directly related to what you do. So being exactly. good and trying to adapt. Uh, yeah. The, the, I, I could not, I cannot say that in English perfectly, but like the, the ones that survive are not the ones that are yeah. the, the strongest, but the ones that adapt. Right. So exactly. I can totally relate to that. And another thing is like when you leave high school, I, I would say uh, it will change from country to country, like how the, the, the education is done in each country. But how I feel right now and how I felt when I left high school in 2009, I was like, I had no, you have no idea. So like if you see it as a final decision for your life to, you know, you need to make a final decision, what you're going to work and do to the rest of your life with like 17 years old, like <laughs> yeah, when you're right. 17 years, what? Like no there's no sense in that. Intimidating. Yeah. 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 So this is, this is something I always try to keep with me, like be, be able to learn new things and, uh, you know, change, just change. I, I was, I was focused on education before I started working in, uh, was in addicts. 
formerly swine it now is an addict. Uh, so I just saw it as an opportunity and I was like, Hey, let's go for it. Why not? So if I, I could give right. a, a message right now for people that are listening to us, like be brave, you know, take some challenges. Life is dynamic. Things are not, are not defin definitive. So cool. Absolutely. Let's see. Uh, Usually we start with a brief introduction here, like we just did, and uh, then we do a transition to a moment where we're going to be talking about marketing and business, right? So the question we have to do this transition is a question that I think it's easy for you to, to answer is that, how would your parents describe what you do? You work with your, <laughs> your father, so yeah. I don't. If he, can't, if he can't explain what you do, then I think you, <laughs> there's a problem there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, if, yeah, it's interesting. It's, uh, um, it's, I, I guess it's a, just to clarify, yeah, it's a little unique situation cause we're, we're quite, you know, relatively still what you would consider a family company. And my, even though my, my mother wasn't involved until, I mean, she's always been involved in the business. She's been a very, very important part in the background financially, uh, alongside my, my father, right. Helping along and, but she did have her own businesses as well too. Uh, that she ran independently of what we do today. And then a few years back, she exited those and and joined our company full-time, which has been a, a major help uh, and accelerant in our growth. So so now there's quite a few of us, yeah. And and more recently, my sister has joined as well too. So there's a lot of family in there. Um, so how, how, would they, how would they say what I do uh, or explain what I do? Um, let's play around with that a little bit. I think, I know my, I know my, no, both of them, yeah, very similar because they 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 think quite alike. Uh, they're probably always uh, having they're having to be the ones who hold me back. I like to to push the bar probably a little bit too much, too many times, and I actually think that's been a great a great balance uh, between us, especially to my my dad and I. Um, you know, he he definitely has that same gene in him. That's where I have it from. Um, but him being older now and having gone through a bunch of his own. Uh, experiences right he he kind of sees when i'm maybe uh got my eyes on something and and he, and he keeps everything grounded so that's been pretty healthy um yeah they look at me as the everything technological everything systems oriented sometimes a little bit too systems oriented which i know um it can be a lot when you're dealing with we i know just how complicated technology can be for myself uh, let alone someone who didn't grow up with a phone in their hands so um, so always, I'm always kind of the one trying to implement systems and operations within our company. And I get a little bit of, uh, a, a little bit, <laughs> a little bit of, uh, heat from that sometimes until it plays out well. And we look back and then we kind of agree that, okay, this worked, this didn't. And yeah, we're all at the end of the day, hopefully a little bit better off. So yeah, that's, that's, I guess they obviously know what I do day to day, but that maybe gives you a little bit more view of how they, they look at me at least as a role within the company. So. The guy who brings the new ideas and process and technology to the company. <laughs> yeah. You need to keep the pace with the industry. So, For sure. Yes. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, Lasse, so now jumping to a little bit more about marketing and business. What are the biggest challenges in terms of marketing and communications uh, that Protective and yeah, your company Protective faces today? Yeah, today... Um... Yeah, I'd say quite a bit different than when I joined, uh, obviously, uh, coming from very little, just having a logo, no brand strategy or anything, <laughs> and having learned a lot along the way how important that is. Um, yeah, I'd say today it's it's still just, you know, your, your small team, 
you're trying to compete with larger companies who have their own in-house marketing that are just used to, you know, oh, we send that to marketing and we get that done right. Whereas uh, when you try to facilitate that as a, a 10 person team where there is no one person dedicated to marketing, um, those we kind of rely on freelancers, right? Which, you know, we've, we've got a much better grasp of today and, and back to the brand strategy again and creating a set, you know, a really good set of guidelines that obviously helps a lot and understanding the importance of setting that direction that no one's really going to tell you what to do, of course, uh, especially within, you know, the, the, the advertising world, um, unless you get some good people. Um, yeah. So I'd say that's, that, that's, that's always been the struggle is, you know, uh, trying to gain as much control of, um, of your brand and making sure you can actually execute on those, you know, whether it's putting content out or running an ad strategy or consistency through all, you know, documents and templates and stuff. So, you know, one customer isn't using their own completely off the rails PowerPoint or one colleague isn't using off the rails PowerPoint and another one's using a different one. And that's just, that's, it's always a work in progress. I'm sure that's, that's exactly what someone in the head of a marketing department would feel the heat of yet. That still kind of falls on my ear. So (laughs) keep consistency. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can, I can relate with that. Even, uh, uh, one guy once told me that like, marketing is uh, uh, first you need people it's you need you need uh labor right you need to these things are not uh fast things to be done create content like good content put everything there you know in the visual identity and make uh your whole language and branding strategy to be perceived as uh something consistent by by your clients or by, by the audience so that that is hard and mm-hmm. even like when you when you have to use help from outside most of times like you have you have a, your idea of how your brand should look like how should people uh, see that and that's most of times i'd say it's not exactly aligned with the uh, how the people that are going to be working uh, sure. with you are doing so it's like it's a complete uh misconception because you have something in your head and sometimes it's hard to translate that for the people that are going to be executing things and yeah. so this guy once told me that marketing and although i i really understand uh i don't think it, this is something absolute like for a hundred percent but marketing is something too important strategically for you to just handle to someone outside of your own company. Like you are inside, you know what's happening, you know what's the best uh, strategy. So taking this from your head and putting into someone's head so they can execute properly, it's always a challenge for sure. Absolutely. Yeah, I think uh, I struggled a lot with that. And it's only been the last, like, it was under COVID. I had a lot of quiet time and I just realized exactly that. We'd we'd worked with some different larger agencies and stuff. And at one point, because I was just like, I'm done with this. I don't want to, you know, I just want someone to do this on autopilot for me. Pay them. We had, you know, enough enough cash flow at that point, you know, that we just decided, okay, we're at the size where I just want to allocate this. I just want to be able to email someone. Boom. You guys strategize. We get brainstorming sessions. Boom. You guys execute, right? And it was just way too premature. Like, you know, there was no, we weren't clear on what we even wanted. Um, And that, you know, went through two iterations of that. And then finally realized, I'm like, I just need to sit down and just figure this out, pull together everything that I already know, 
everything that how we think about this brand. And I spent like I spent two or three days just with headphones on up in my office during COVID, <laughs> listening to some audio machine music, very like in the zone and just writing out like a brand strategy guide, like a full document for it. And then I worked with the designer and got everything built and right. And ever since then, it's like, you know, nothing is still perfect, but my goodness, has it ever made life easier? So yeah, that just, un- and, and then we just work with, with freelancers, right? Whenever you need something done, yes, to your point, you can't just, that was, that was the closest you can get to, you need to put everything down on paper and so you can hand it to someone. And then, you know, if they don't come with what is portrayed in that paper, you can just tell them to read it again or, or ask them if they read it or say, oh, what don't you understand about it? Right. But at least there's a clear direction on, on what we should be going for. And that, that helps a lot. And I'm sure that's, I mean, that's applicable in so many different areas too. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, sometimes I feel like people that have a little bit less uh, experience in, uh, and I don't know, in marketing and things like, uh, when you, when you say something about a brand guide, some people see a brand guide more like a visual identity guideline. Right how yeah. to apply your logo so you have i don't know so it can you know have the right colors and stuff but the whole concept is there like there is a whole concept you want to bring to the industry and make people f- how how do you want to uh, make people feel about your brand and it's not only about the visual applying your logo no no, no this uh, 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 a brand is a is a institution it's almost like a per- every time more we see brands like person right Brands today, they have tone of voice, like they communicate uh, through social media, through any channels. So uh, it's never, it's never, for me, it's never too much. Like if you, if you can, uh, if you can create the proper guidelines and make something that has consistency and has a, has a sense, has a, has a meaning. Like an, an identity, right? I think an identity. A, a common, yeah. a brand identity as well too, which absolutely. Yeah, exactly. Couldn't agree anymore. Yeah. Cool. And uh, so you have all this thing about the brand identity. And there's one thing that, uh, in our opinion, so we are focused on content. So we always bring the conversation to that. Uh, But you have the whole concept of your brand. But for you to success in, uh, in an industry where a technical approach is really important about, you know, people trusting, knowing that, that you are an expert. Do you think the producing and sharing technical content, uh, how how important is producing and sharing content for a brand positioning today, in your opinion? And why do you think that? Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, to, to pull on your question there and maybe point out where it is important is that if you're within, I think in most cases it is, sure, but there are also, you know, the, the technical portion of that is the very important one, right? Like if you're in an industry where you're, uh, there's a lot of research around it, right? You've got a lot of other strong players there who've been entrenched for a long time, big R and D budgets, lots of very smart people running those, you know, <laughs> it, it sets a very, very high bar for a small company to come in and a group of people to come in and just all of a sudden say, Hey, look at us, you know, buy our products, you know, right? Like against the, the, you know, the company and the sales rep who's been on that farm or technical representative who's been on that farm for, or in that business that's supplying the farm for the past, you know, 40, 50 years. Right. I mean, that's so, so yeah, I think it becomes incredibly important and it's something that, um, we, we've, we haven't done with a lot of, uh, intent, I would say yet, um, what the content we have 
produced has been just to service and back up and support our products, right? So, um, and by that, we've, you know, over the past three, four years accumulated a lot of material that, you know, when you start to look back at, you're like, wow, there's a, there's a lot of stuff here. Uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff of value here. There's a lot of stuff that's, that's generic to the point where it's not just specific to our product, but actually adds a lot of uh, new, new knowledge and, and value to the industry. Um, and, um, and as we grow, like I said, uh, uh, it, it's, it's definitely something that I'm always looking to do more of. We have the brand strategy in place right now. It's been working well, right? Uh, now it's taking some of these content pieces and, you know, utilizing them digitally and putting them out to more people, right? And uh, showing that, uh, being very open about the stuff that we're doing just to show that, hey, like we're, we might be the new kid on the block, but uh, that doesn't mean that we can't be, you know, really shaking up the industry. So, um, so that's where I think it comes, right? I mean, if you actually do have stuff of merit, um, then yeah, it's incredibly important to get that down and get it out so that people can read it and they can associate that with your brand. And that's what builds your reputation over time. So. hundred percent. And, uh, yeah, like, and now just so people don't think I'm trying to sell anything to them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, it, it's funny because we see it. It's for us. It's really important for uh, uh, companies to have their positioning, their digital positioning, right? Position themselves in social media, in uh, internet in general, through podcasts, through events. Like, because you get the opportunity of you know reaching people in a different way that you would like in traditional marketing. But that's in an industry that also has a lot of uh, where it's an industry where it's really important also to have a in-person presence right uh there are not many producers you have like about 50 producers responsible for 70 percent of the whole production in the us for example and it's it's for me i see it as a very important thing to find a way of you know of balancing your in-person activity and approach because you need to build uh the relationship you're dealing with people at the end right uh, so building this relationship and showing them uh, supporting, giving them support in terms of knowledge, in terms of product uh, instructions or anything like that, but also bringing uh, this knowledge and content to the digital. It, you need to, for me, you need to be everywhere today. It's not only about yeah, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to focus on social media. No, it's not like that, right? No. You need to be in all the different channels. Yeah. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, no, it's... Uh... And that's where we started, right? Just because we just like, we hit the road, like hitting trade shows and conferences like crazy. Like that was our, that was our startup, like uh, plan really. It just worked and we started making relationships. But I think what you can do with really good content is you can actually, you know, you can, you can multiply that, that effort a lot, right? When you then have that knowledge and it is important that you do have it, you can't just write content for the sake of writing writing content there has to be <laughs> something to it uh, but when you do have that and you put it down and then distribute it you now allow people to you know access it at their own time you know you use those as reference tools and that doesn't it doesn't replace the in-person effect but it absolutely complements it and uh and accelerates it so yeah perfect so uh keeping in the line of the all this uh, content marketing and you know um thought leadership strategies, how do you build uh, authority and uh, thought leadership in the marketplace? 
Yeah, it's a big question. <laughs> um, I, I got a few I, good ones here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, I think if we not to piggyback too much on what we just talked about, but I think again, it starts with with uh, having some sort of entity brand identity, right? That you can build something around that you can attach everything to. Let's keep it really simple, right? And then it becomes all these um, these different things. And let's add some extra then on top of content. I, I I mean, I think the first one is you need you need a good product or a good service, right? I mean, at least if you're looking to build authority. I'm not saying you can't sell or be very successful doing something that is not necessarily that just with killer marketing. Absolutely, you can do that. But at least if you're trying to build authority and thought leadership, it's, that's not that path. So yeah, good product, good service. Um, and if it's a good product, then continue and good follow-up service on that product, right? And if it's a service product, then a continued, you know, meeting expectations or exceeding them, right? And, you know, just that really good person to client or like a business to client relationship, right? Um, and then time, like I think, and I'm very guilty of this myself. And this is again, where my dad comes into the play of, you know, just someone who's older and maybe not running around as much, you know, he's still, he's way as active as I am, but in his head anyways, he's more patient than I am. Um, <laughs> even though he might not, that's at least how he portrays himself. Maybe internally, he's just, uh, quelling it pro appropriately and he's learned from his past experiences. Um, but yeah, like he just consistency and time, like get those things in place and then just do the work, like be good, do good service to your customers, uh, focus on product improvement, always be, you know, focusing on uh, improving the customer experience and and then just keep doing it. Like, because time is going to, then, you know, when you're in that one to three, four year stage, you're still a new company. But then as soon as you start getting past that four, five, 10 year, all of a sudden now you that reputation just precedes you, right? And that's, that's that helps. It's not the only thing that builds authority, but if you've been doing those things over that period of time, now you really start to build it. And I don't think you can, you can do a lot of things. And if you ace all these things from the get-go, sure, can you speed up that process? Or if you have a heck of a lot of investor money and you hire, you know, key researchers or industry professionals from from other uh, private companies or, or research institutions, sure. I mean, that's another way to go about it as well, too. And you should consider that. But I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't skip over the fact that it just takes time as well, too. So. Perfect. Time. Time, time is a, an important thing here, for sure. Like people sometimes expect like, hey, uh, I'm going to start producing. I see that uh, producing technical content, sharing this with my audience, this is important. Um, so they start doing things and they have consistency for a few months. And then, okay, it's been like six months. I'm doing things, but my sales haven't increased a lot right. <laughs> yet. So wait, <laughs> come down. Like this is a sales are of, of course, everyone, every company, like every, every company wants to have their profit. You know, they want to be sustainable, financially sustainable. Uh, but this, these things, they don't happen from day to night or night to day. So you gotta be consistent. You gotta keep do keep doing the, the boring work and with time, you're going to get there. Pretty sure about it. Uh, Lassie, so um, now thinking about your career, uh, wh what do you think is the most important lesson you have learned so far? Yeah, 
Uh, let's see. Well, it's still pretty early. <laughs> yeah, so far. Uh, there, there's room for you to learn much more, I'm pretty sure. Absolutely. Yeah, no. So for all of um, us. I'm, as I say this, I caveat that, obviously, I, I know that I am, I still consider myself in such an infancy in my life that it's like, you know, the urgency is real of like when I hit 30, I'm, I'm, I'm rushing every day. I'm patient long term and incredibly impatient short term. But I also understand that it's early in the grand scheme of things. So um, I, I don't know. I think it, I think it's maybe a little bit cheesy and it's age old, but just like trust and reputation, because I think it all comes back to that. And it's not like it's something that it's not, it's the, it's just the core thing that has really been solidified for me and to not ever sacrifice that to, to do it. Just, you can break it. And everyone talks about this, right? But you can break it down in like a matter of no time and it takes years to build. Right. So I just think it's the strongest, it's the strongest symbol of like a person's character. If, if you're in conversation uh, with their close acquaintances and there's never a hiccup regarding trust because you just know how hard that is to build and how valuable it is. Um, it's certainly something that I've seen and you can write, you can write contracts, you can write agreements. Um, it never works if you don't have the trust. Um, that's what it's all grounded in because yeah. Uh, and then trust and, and that is directly followed by reputation i mean your trust is your reputation is a big part of it um so i don't know what else to say to that I, I i'm very very principled and i take i take uh i i and i and when it comes to reputation though i guess uh i i focus on my own principles i listen to feedback from the people who know me well i listen to external feedback and i don't get caught up in rep you know uh, let's say accused reputation from people who who don't know me well. And I guess that's, that's a, that's something that you have to be quite self-aware on, on what are they talking about? Are you getting sensitive because they are calling something out that you are sensitive on <laughs> or, or is it really just because, Hey, no, they're looking at it from this point of view. Right. I mean, if you sat down and had a conversation with them, you know, sure you'd learn something from it too, but would you maybe give them tidbits of information that would, that would, uh, give them a different perspective. Right. So, um, yeah. I, I think that's that's where I'd leave that. Yeah, trust and credibility. Uh, so uh, sometimes you're dealing, for example, you you guys protect that. You deal a lot with a B2B business probably through, right? So sometimes I think, and again, it, I bring it to the same point being <laughs> repetitive here, but although you're dealing with a company, there is a person behind the chair, right behind the desk. And uh, it's, you're you're gonna deal with with a person, not exactly with a with a company. So Always, yeah. It, yeah. It, if you if you're not if you don't have credibility, if you get you cannot be trusted, there's no business. So it's, for it's sure. a yeah. good point. Um, and so you have learned about trust and credibility. You might have learned this by by yourself, but who? was the main uh, mentor for you so far? Like who, besides the, the things you've learned by yourself, like who was, who was the guy or the girl or the woman or the man or <laughs> who was yeah, the, yeah. the person who helped you to learn the most, who was the best mentor you had so far? You know, 
I I was always hopeful that there was going to be this one person who was going to walk into my life who I could just like, or, or I could seek out and just get them to be my mentor. Uh, I think that was already at like 17, 18 years old. I'm like, I know how important like a mentor is, right? Like I need, I need to find these, this person who's gonna, who's going to help give me direction and flesh out my thoughts and everything. And, you know, it never really happened. Not one person. I think, uh, I won't, I won't, uh, I'll, I'll give credit to Tim Ferriss for writing a book called tribe of mentors. But, um, when I look, look at yeah, where I've gotten the most things from, sure. There's, there's, there's key people in different areas, but it is really like a tribe of people. Like there's not, and it all depends on the field. It depends on whether it's something that's just personal, something that's, you know, specifically within the business field, right? Those could be two completely different people that you go to. Um, yeah, like I'd say I probably have, a, I probably have eight to 10 really good, what I would consider mentors. And that ranges from friends, business acquaintances, family, um, from old, you know, to like in their eighties to well in between there and to some who are younger than me. Right. And they all, I, I guess I have a good enough understanding of their background and where they come from. And I, and I put that up against the type of advice that they give me. And, um, yeah, that's, uh, I, I think it can be a little bit dangerous to, uh, to, to put all focus on to, to one mentor. Uh, I, I, maybe I'm, uh, maybe I'm naive in that. Maybe I'm just silly and I haven't found the right one, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, uh, if, if anyone has, anyone wants to step up and be my mentor and, uh, I'm, I'm there, I'm there. If you want to be live, the one, live a message. Who, yeah. Who gives all the answers? Uh, please, please. Yeah, no, I, I think you got a point here. Like you, we can learn from, most of people would say even from the you know bad people because there's even you have you can also learn what not to do right so uh no that that that's a good point i i feel like i was in the same place like in the past i was like hey you know someday i need to have either a boss or business partner someone that will bring light to yeah, yeah, yeah. the darkness of <laughs> my uh naveness if this is a word and i don't know i again yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> i speak portuguese but i mean it's okay. uh, <laughs> we get the context so you got you got the idea so and yeah like the the bad thing about i think the bad thing um uh, about thinking this way if you're waiting for one specific person to come and change your life is that you're going to get basically the perspective of one person, right? right? Yeah. You, you, yeah. And the world is too plural and diverse for you to have one point of view. So it's good to know that like there are many people out there that you can learn with. Yeah. And I, th yeah, I, I will say though, let's to actually put someone out there from like a public, let's, let's take a public mem mentor. One that's been really important is um, I say Ray Dalio. He's the, he's the founder of Bridgewater Associates, which is the, I believe it's the, yeah, it is the largest hedge fund in the world. And I mean, that guy, his, his level of analytical thinking and his humbleness is, is surreal. And I guess when I started reading his stuff, like his, 
there's like reports on the world economy and he came up with principles back in 2017, 2018, reading that book. I was like, it was, it, it was like, I really connected with his way of thinking and it just solidified all these kind of somewhat blurry thoughts that were going on in my head. And that, yeah, like that, it gave me a lot of direction anyways, or just confidence in how I thought and how I was as a person. I'm like, wow, I mean, this guy's done so well. And, um, I, I've, I've had a hard time, like, making sense of my mind and then I was reading his things and I'm like oh my goodness like this this way he goes and how principled he is this is like how I naturally am and now this this is someone else who does that and this guy took it even to the more extreme he like now showed me how to write them down and like to really like analyze them and live by them and how to reflect on them and everything and I thought that was a beautiful thing so definitely uh um yeah from a from a public figure point of view he's he's played a pretty important part so yeah in a few minutes, I'm going to be asking you about some books for you to recommend. If you could recommend any book from him now, I'm curious to know more. Sure. sure. Uh, last it. And you were in the beginning of our conversation, you were, you know, telling us about like how, how you are the guy that brings the new ideas and technologies. And sometimes your parents need to keep your feet in the ground on the ground. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> if you deal with lots, you know, try to bring new processes and technologies, you probably care about productivity. And my question here is like, do you have any productivity productivity hack that you think it's essential or great that you'd like to share with the audience? Um, yeah. So it's a great question. Uh, I used to be completely like entrenched in that thinking, optimize, 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 right? And it's a very vicious, vicious cycle, I will say. <laughs> um, and nowadays, I have it honed down to some really simple things. I sleep eight hours whenever I can, which is pretty much all the time, with some exceptions of early meetings because of other parts of the world and such. Um, and if I can, I'll just get to bed earlier and make sure I still get those eight hours of sleep. That's so key. My concentration goes down like on a very steep graph. If I don't, seven and a half is fine. Anywhere between seven and eight is good. If it's a little bit more intense day eight, you know, if it's been a lighter fully and I've, you know, haven't been doing as much physical exercise as seven, seven and a half hours is fine. But so that's key. Um, then meditation. Meditation is very, very fundamental. And I know that's been incredibly like um, popular for the last four or five years as well too. Um, I've just continued to hone that over the past six, seven years and have it to a point where I just understand that there's always so much work to be done, but I can, I can look back on it and just see how that it, it brings a lot of clarity. It brings a lot of focus intent, especially in such a distraction filled world of instant gratification, being able to just sit with yourself and do nothing and pay attention to what you're your mind is doing and then to react right the awareness my goodness that will get you out of you know jumping between different tasks and seeing a notification on your phone and having to go to it right away right like that that power of the mind is is incredible and the, i think the best way to hone it is meditation and then exercise um very like religiously have an exercise routine uh it's not i used to be you know i always i'm get up early so I, I get up at like 4.45 pretty much every morning. And I used to work out like always pretty much right away. 
that has changed now. I just work out at whatever time during the day that works for me within the schedule, right? Sometimes if I have like a 5 a.m. call, like I did this morning actually, then, and I haven't worked out today, I'll work out, you know, sometime later this afternoon as it kind of fits into my schedule and calendar, right? Um, but just keeping that consistently, always 90 minutes of movement and taking uh, a call, walking outside with headphones in instead, right? And keeping blood flowing. Um, yeah. And uh, okay, what's, uh, but maybe a little bit more actually actionable things. Um, those are just general good things. I think if you focus on those things, it makes what I'm about to say a lot easier. And then I think you need external systems that that allow you to just always dump everything out of your mind because especially my mind, and you can let me know what you think, but uh, thoughts, they come, they go, and then they're gone until maybe they reappear again at some point in time. That could be later today. That could be next week. That could be a month from now, right? But I mean, you can't work with that. So I have like, I have a lot of different lists, all that are for different things, for private life, for work, for different things within work, for when I'm in communication with someone, things I need to remember to bring up with them, right? So whenever that thought comes to mind, I immediately dump it out into that list and it's like on my phone, it's on my computer so that I just can forget about it right away. And then I just always check back to that list or those lists. And that's that's incredibly helpful for me just to make sure that as little as possible falls through the cracks. I won't say that it never does because that's that's definitely a lie. So <laughs> <laughs> I I need to start creating those lists. Marshall, so Marshall, uh, for people that don't know, Marshall is the founder of Poison Addicts. Uh, I've been working with him closely, and he always brings like the importance of having those lists. This, you know, maybe in the future, maybe we'll not do anything with that, but at some point. You might miss, I don't know, a million dollar idea. Yeah, <laughs> so no, it's exactly. Good. It's good to have a place to save them. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I need to. It's been a year now that I'm telling myself to do it. Uh, I'll take this as a the initiative, the the There's, spark to start this this routine. Yeah, I, I, it's 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 hard because you're. It can be like overwhelming. Like, where do you start, right? And then you start just doing a random list, but then it's like, how do you organize your list? And that was my mind tends to just like get caught in the analysis or paralysis by analysis circle. And I had to, I have to constantly break myself out of that and I'm getting better, but it's always a work in progress. But, um, this wasn't this, I don't think this would be a book recommendation, but for this specific part, um, the art, this, uh, I think I have it right here. Uh, getting, getting things done by David Allen. Yeah, yeah, that helped me a lot. I didn't implement all of his things, but it just, I just needed something where I was like, just tell me what to do in this area, like how to organize some of these things, right? And uh, and when I read through that, it gave me enough where I'm like, it, it's been incredibly helpful, yeah, to to put some systems in place. There's another book I really want to read on that called Building a Second Brain. That's probably my second one uh, within the whole organization and making sure that I have it as good as it could be and then then we get back to just doing the work. <laughs> yeah. I was looking to my shelf here because I bought getting things done. Yeah. <laughs> it should be somewhere here. <laughs> uh, and yeah, it's a good book, but still it's important to put, put things in practice. practice. Sure. Uh, and just uh, staying a little bit more here, you were mm -hmm. mention, mentioning about meditation and yes, did ha this has become like, more famous, uh, lots of people practicing each time more. I remember when I, when I was a competitor by 2013, 2012, I used to do 
a little bit of meditation. Okay, I've I've tried for a while. Uh, I'm not the most disciplined person, <laughs> so uh, and because I finished this competition after the competition, I, I I didn't continue with my my meditation. Do you have any tips like for people that want to start with meditation, like? How sh how do you think they should start? For how long? How many days a week? Uh, what is meditation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm not an expert by all means, but I can just tell you what I've done and recently what has really worked for me uh, and solidified some good practices. So I think I started just meditating with like the Headspace app back in 2000. Like not long after it came out, I, I know I was still in Garden. It was right after I came back from Europe. So maybe like 2016, 2016, I just started doing guided meditations and I would do 10, 15 minutes in the morning after breakfast. And that little step when you're coming from nothing did so much for me. Um, and I was sorry to just, I, I, most people, hopefully at this point, have heard a little bit about meditation, but in its simplest form, there, there are quite a few different strategies. But the main thing uh, to boil it down is just sitting with yourself, focusing on something. And there's different types of techniques, right? Whether you're doing body scans, you're focusing on your breath. Um, there's some that include mantras, right? Where you repeat something out loud and the vibration kind of puts you into a meditative state. But the whole point is that your mind's going to wander. And that's like what you talk about, that you're not the most disciplined. I would say I'm not either, right? That's why I practice it because it, 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 it just, it, it trains your body to be better at that. Like the whole point is your mind is going to wander. And then it's just, the more you do it, the quicker you realize and the quicker you bring it back to whatever you're supposed to be focusing on. And you're like, you're just training a muscle. Like your brain is a muscle and you're training it to continue doing that. So it's like, it is the ultimate productivity hat that some of the, greatest meditators that I've met it's it's almost scary to be in their presence of like how how aware they are what's going on and just like they don't you could you could be have they they will not lose a train of thought without like they could be way far gone from it and just come right back to it like they know exactly they can organize their mind in such a freaky way that it's it's very very like humbling and inspiring at the same time <laughs> um so I, yeah, I would, I would start with that. Uh, if you really, so I was doing that for quite a while. And then this summer I like dove headfirst in because I'm like, I need to, I need to really understand a deep technique and do something at a deeper level. And I did a, um, I did, cause I'm in California now. Right. So now you're in the, the very much more spiritual area. And, um, I did a, uh, a Vipassana 10 day Vipassana meditation, um, up in, uh, the high desert in August or at the end of July into August, which is, a you can look it up. It's a, it's like a non, and this is not a, you know, recommendation or anything. I'm just telling what I, what I did. Right. Um, it's a not-for-profit, non, non-religious, non-sectarian type of religion that, you know, spread throughout India originally from Burma. It was kind of carried on through some villages and this, you know, um, this Goinka, teacher picked it up back in the 70s and essentially started spreading it and it grew throughout europe and now there's like 13 meditation centers in the u.s and all around the world as well too um and you go and you essentially go into a it's like a, it's silent so you take a vow of silence the day before it's 10 full days of the exact same schedule you're meditating 10 hours a day 
you get up at 4 a.m. in the morning and you essentially start meditating 4.30 a.m. And then there's like little breaks and breakfast and lunch and stuff in between. But you have like fully allocated 10 hours of meditation a day with very little guidance, but just enough that you don't go absolutely crazy. And yeah, 10 days of doing that and you come out and now you really start to get a much better understanding of how deep you can go with meditation and how profoundly it can infect like impact your mind and yeah after leaving that um i now meditate half an hour every morning even though they recommend you do an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening maybe one day i'll get to that i think that's that's a lot their argument is that you'll need to sleep less and you'll be more productive in the time you're not meditating anyways so stop thinking about uh the two hours that you spend meditating and just focus on the ones that you're not which maybe I'm just, maybe I haven't gone deep enough in the practice that I understand that yet. But for now, I pretty religiously meditate half an hour every morning. And um, I would say that's the next step. You have to be pretty, pretty intentional if you're going into Vipassana meditation, um, because it is kind of like self-imposed solitary confinement. So <laughs> if, uh, if your interest is there for meditation and you've played around with it and you feel like you just need that next nudge and you can, uh, it doesn't cost anything. It's a not-for-profit. You can choose to donate afterwards when you've gone, if you, if you'd like. Um, so yeah, that's, that was maybe a long, long winded answer, but that was pretty recent in the experiences. So. Yeah. Uh, I think I might, might try it again. I've been thinking about, uh, you know, starting again, again, I did it. And basically the methodology I would use is, you know, focusing on my breath. Mm -hmm. And it's just like you said, like you start, okay, inspiring, uh, inspiring. And what's the word for uh, yeah, letting yeah, it respiration, out? focus on respiration. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and respiration yeah. general. Yeah. And then you are there and you're there and then suddenly you're not there Correct. anymore and your your head is like thinking about this random thing and you were like hey 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 come back yeah. to your respiration yeah. it's it's but it's good and uh i think it's every time is more important because we are so deep uh into like uh technology and like information your your head like it's uh, I, this year i'll sorry to jump from one subject to the other but just to make the relation about how important i, I believe it is like this year i lost my my grandfather he was like 93 years old and it was so funny because he was still pretty lucid uh, by the end of his life and he could remember like stories from his life that have and it, and he could tell you the stories like hey it was i don't know 5th of may of uh 79 and i was doing this and that uh, and i'm like i don't remember what i had for lunch yesterday <laughs> I like know. he has he remembers the whole thing and the thing is like of, of course he has a good memory but also he was living in a period that there was not like there were not many things happening or if they were well they were happening probably but less than uh right now and they just like things didn't get to him there was no information information came through i don't know a journal something like the newspaper uh once in a while they didn't have tv and right now we are surrounded by so much information that our brain goes whoo crazy it's uh, no, it's, it's good to keep focus it's nice it's uh yeah the it, it the i there's so many it's so easy to get caught 
nowadays with all the distractions and all the different like information flow to just get caught in a state of like where you're not aware what's going on, right? Like you're just moving on autopilot and you're not really, you know, I I never thought I would catch myself saying present because I always associated that with being, you know, some woo woo spiritual thing, but it really is that simple. Like you're not actually there with what's going on in the moment. You're always thinking about something that happened in the past or in the future or trying to get some new sort of sensory, you know, uh, input or to hit a, get a hit of dopamine. Right. There's been a lot of talk about that. And it's so relevant. Like if you can just be comfortable and be present with what you're doing in the moment. And then, yeah, I think that was just much easier to do when when there wasn't as many inputs, right? So I have a couple of grandparents too, where it's the exact same thing. Like it's freakish what my grandma, like she will remember everyone's birthday and she can remember like days stuff happened. And yeah, she does just have a good memory too, for sure. That there is something else going on there too. And someone who studies neurology can probably explain that hopefully a little bit better, but, uh, but there's no doubt that there was just less distractions too. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, so uh, we are wrapping up here. Uh, let's say my idea now it's, you know, get your final thoughts and a few recommendations. And we would like, I would like to start with a, a few books, uh, three books you would recommend for our audience. Okay. Uh, so uh, th- this, this isn't a meditation book, but uh, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big uh, Stoic follower and just Stoic philosophy and the, uh, that train of thought in general. And I just think what makes that book so powerful is uh, it wasn't, he didn't write it for anyone. It, they're just his daily meditations to himself, right? You know, an ancient Roman leader uh, who's writing all these thoughts down to himself and kind of a little bit like Ray Dalio, like he's, there are his principles that he's reflecting on, right? Or things that he needs to be aware of to himself, and just reading those is like, it's very humbling. It's, uh, it's wild how relevant they are like so many hundreds of years later and you're reading it. And I just read one again this morning. Cause I kind of like, I also, there's also like this, there's a book called the daily stoic where Ryan holiday, uh, holiday puts them all together. Holiday, holiday, I don't even know. Holiday. Um, where he pulls from different ancient philosophers. Right. And the one this morning was like talking about, when the doctor prescribes ice baths and I like read that again, I'm like, wait, is this actually the quote from, did he say prescribes ice baths? I'm like, what is this? Were they doing that back then? (laughs) So anyways, very, they're just so they're just whenever in doubt, just go back to the classics and you'll find a lot of the same information just regurgitated in new books anyway. So that one is great. Um, Then I think sticking with a little bit of classics just because of relevant geopolitical tensions i think if you haven't read the prince by nickel niccolo machiavelli i think that's very very relevant from just what's happening in the world and how the next uh 10 to 20 years will play out just to have that i got understand again that that book was written 500 years ago um and yeah it just gives you a lot of context and saying we've been here before and it doesn't mean that we have the answers this time, but we sure as heck know what's worked in the past and what hasn't. And these observations are not new. So, um, so that one and what else? Um, let's see. Mm, oh, um, then, then sure. Let's say uh, Ray Dalio's book principles, because you asked about that. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> um, 
yeah, came out in 2017. And it's essentially, it's, it's his work and life principles. So he like divvied them up in two parts of the book. And he just, he's, he's, he's taken note of all the things when he's gotten into a decision where he's had a tough decision to make or reflected on something where he made a decision. He's like, what guided that decision? And do I agree with it? Right. And then he would hone that into a principle and list them all. And he did that through his, his life and his work. And it's, again, it's reading through that, you know, there's probably a lot of them that you could relate to, or you would, you would aspire to want to take on yourself and it might inspire you to, uh, uh, to build your own based on that, just seeing how someone else has done it. So, yeah. Perfect. Uh, thanks for the tips. My next question here is we were talking about what you have learned and experiences. So when it, when it comes to failure, what was your biggest failure so far and what did you learn from this experience? Yeah, I think, I think, um, is it, let's see if there, maybe I, hope, I would hope I could think of one very large specific one. I would say in uh, in general, maybe this is being a little dodgy, I'm not trying to be, but I, I think what I've done a lot of times is I've, I've maybe listened blindly to different people or like what I would consider to be authoritative figures and just taking their advice without triangulating that, without putting it into context. This comes a little bit back to what type of mentors you choose and such, right? Where you either read something or you hear someone standing in a public situation, they say something and because they're there in that situation, you just like, oh, well, you know, it must be true. And I think this is relevant for <laughs> the younger you are, right? you obviously start to get this not how the world works and uh but early on i maybe wish i would have gotten into tune with that a little bit earlier and not just believed in as many things as i did blindly uh without doing my own kind of due diligence and if it was someone who i just liked their charismatic you know way of being or who they were or how they looked i'm like oh no it's true right and then i'm a i'm a contrarian at heart so if someone would challenge what what I was thinking, I say, I don't know. Like then I would double down on my point of view, right? And I've really, uh, I I just wish I would have come to the state of mind that I'm in right now, where uh, again, it's never perfect, but I always I, I really work to catch myself if I'm being defensive or you know challenging a view that I really that doesn't have a lot of ground in my own that I've done my own research on as much as I should, right? I, I'm I'm much more comfortable being very open about that now and saying, no, you know what, you know, here's what I think right now, but uh, uh, that I may not be how it is. Tell me what you think. Right. And that's I used to think that was a weakness and like double down on my point of view. Um, I'm sure I'm still stubborn and do that in some areas, but I really, uh, that, that has hurt me and uh, caused some, some pretty heated situations in the past. So. Yeah. Uh, I, I got it. I, for me, flexibility, being able to adapt and, you know, being open-minded enough to say, Hey, this is my idea right now. It might not be my idea tomorrow. Let's see <laughs> if exactly. you bring right. You, that, that's how you, you evolve and you get better. At least that's how I see. So uh, lastly, my last question is like, you were just talking about like the Prince of Machiavelli and I have, how this book that was written 500 years ago still can still be relevant. So how do you see, so trying to understand the world now, how do you think the world will look like in, in about 20 years? Yeah. It, you know, it almost, my mind like 
start sparking everywhere when I try to think 20 years down the road. It's so hard for me. <laughs> it just too many predictions <laughs> together. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, we throw some predictions. I like to try to even five year increments now, I feel like is so almost hard to do. But let's let's maybe grab a few points that I think uh, that I'm a, at least personally a little bit uh, uh, confident in without being too generic, because I think it's easy to say, well, everything will be completely different than it is today. <laughs> right? <laughs> um, I, so I, I've had quite a bit of uh, interest in uh, crypto space and blockchain technology as a whole. And I think that that will just continue to, you know, more so now during a downturn in the background just to be adopted. And, and, you know, people won't even, you know, people talk about whether or not, you know, you can talk about different coins, right? Bitcoin and Ethereum and whatever, smart contracts, yada, yada, all this type of stuff, right? But the, that technology um, and and Bitcoin as a um, kind of as another financial uh, uh, asset, let's say, right? Asset class. Uh, will just continue to, to to entrench itself. It's kind of like inevitable. I really think so. Um, so how that plays out, you know, that means that that's from the financial side, right? But smart contracts and everything and how, you know, decisions are made and executed via which are very person dependent today. Um, there's always going to be a human aspect to it in some areas, right? That will always shift where that is and where people are comfortable with that human um, aspect playing a part. I think like the, what do you call it? The Overton window shifts, right? Right now you say, oh, I would never want someone doing that or a computer controlling that, right? But then all of a sudden it just starts happening and then it makes life easier. And then that Overton window shifts. Oh, it's already doing this. And then it does that, right? So uh, yeah, I think that will continue to play. We're still in like the infancy of just the internet and technology as a whole. And, you know, the uh, the innovation scale is like on a crazy acceleration curve. And even though there will probably be a slump here of three to four years, with uh, the downturn that we are for sure heading into. So that's not a 20 year uh, prediction, but the, the next, the next uh, let's say 18 to 24 months are going to be uh, pretty unique. Um, so in terms of just where the financial situation is at, where, uh, where the global economy is at. And yeah, we, I don't believe we've seen the worst of that yet. So just interest rates are at a, place that they haven't been in a very long time and they've gone there very quickly and we haven't seen the full impact of it yet so yeah um farther out let's maybe talk a little bit about maybe i could say on agriculture uh con continued consolidation and then niche markets um a lot of regulation um that's the play that's the space that we work within right like we're very closely tied to the european markets and on the ground there, and we just know what's, you know, happened in these, you know, you can go to the Netherlands, you can go to Denmark, you know, they're so heavily regulated compared to, to what we are here today in the U.S. Uh, and Canada, for that matter. Canada is a little bit more in some areas and similar in others. Um, and that just will continue to come. Like, as soon as it gets on the radar of the regulators because of consumer sentiment or something catches their eye and whether it's right or not, um, whether it's been thought out fully, it doesn't matter. Uh, it's just whoever has the, the, unfortunately doesn't, I wish it did. I wish there was more, you know, just good open discussion about what's right, what's wrong. Right. But if we correlate to other large topics in the world, we see that's not necessarily how things play out. So, um, yeah, so I think, but 
a lot of consolidation within agriculture, then some niche markets that will play, which you've already seen, like more direct consumer, uh, specific brands playing in that space. And, and then the regulation portion, yeah, will continue to just drill and change the landscape of agriculture as a whole. Um, whether it comes to climate, whether it comes to inputs, outputs, uh, in terms of like, what are they being fed? What are we doing with their waste? Yada, yada, all this different stuff. That's going to just continue to be a, that's a battle that's uh, it's, or not a battle. It's just a, it's a reality that, uh, there's an ever-changing landscape so perfect perfect yeah it's hard to me when you started to answer was like yeah 20 20 years is a little <laughs> bit far yeah. on the like the ways the way things are changing like so fast it's it's hard to predict right uh and uh, one word are you pessimist or optimist optimistic about the future so optimistic that's like. good Absolutely. that's the that's what i needed yeah, yeah. No, <laughs> to put always. my head in a pillow <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, no that was great Lasse. i thank you a lot for your time it was a great conversation i'm pretty sure we're gonna meet again in the future once we are more professional in this <laughs> in this uh podcast well i am actually in this podcast field uh, i'm really really happy to have you here again uh yeah. and where uh Lasse, where can listeners find you online yeah, I uh, on LinkedIn, it's probably the best. Um, yeah, LinkedIn. I'm not too active on Twitter. Uh, on LinkedIn, you can just search my name. Uh, I'll, I'll come up. I'm, there's not too many Leze Jakobsons, at least compared to other names. So uh, on Twitter, I can send you that as well too. I'm there as well. That's maybe a, another platform to connect. It's a little bit more um, open and, and direct as well too. So yeah, LinkedIn and Twitter. Perfect. Uh, well, Lasse's name is going to be written in the name of the episode here, so it's easier for you to find him there. And thanks a lot for you that have been listening uh, to us in this great conversation, and I hope to see you again and, yeah, see you on next episode. Thanks. Thank you, Ricardo.